At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Reflecting on this, I decided to follow her advice, and I noticed profound changes in my own dogs. Enhanced energy, healthier skin, and an overall younger demeanor. It's truly heartwarming to see them so vibrant and full of life. Go to badlandsfood.com slash hometown and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash hometown. Picture this, a pope on trial. He sits at the front of the courtroom in a tall-backed, golden throne, encrusted with jewels and towering over his accusers in a silent display of power. While the prosecutor rants and paces, he sits motionless, staring straight ahead, unconcerned by the proceedings and unimpressed by the charges laid against him, one after the other. His papal crown is on his head. His robes are bright and flowing and his hands rest in his lap, as if he's merely hearing news of the day from a servant or friend. But the prosecutor is screaming at him, pointing at him, saying things that would make your blood boil. Some of it is probably true, most of it scandalous, and all of it is intended to ruin his reputation once and for all. The accused, Pope Formosus, is an eloquent speaker. You kind of have to be to become Pope. Yet he sits there with his mouth open, a vacant look on his face. Why? Because he died nine months ago. He's wearing all the vestments of a living ruler, but he's slumped against the frame of the chair and his body is badly decayed. They've masked the smell with incense but the result is a sickly, sweet funk that hovers in the air. But again, why? Why would you dig up a body and prosecute someone death had already convicted and sentenced to oblivion? For power and legacy, and of course, for revenge. Only vengeance of one kind or another could account for a scene as ugly as this one. In one sense, the rivalries and intrigue behind this so-called 
cadaver synod were nothing new to the Catholic Church. The papacy was for many centuries one of the most powerful positions in the Western world, and because of this, it tended to attract the wrong kind of people. The grassroots life of the Church in the Middle Ages continued to reflect the quiet devotional serenity of the earliest Christian believers. But popes sat with kings, and sometimes they dominated them. And just one example of the radical extent of medieval papal power, Pope Gregory VII once excommunicated Henry IV of England in 1076 in a move that crippled the power of the English king. Because excommunication from the Roman church could cost a king his throne, Henry made a desperate pilgrimage to Rome to plead with the Pope for forgiveness. He traveled for months in the middle of winter, crossing the snowy Alps in a dangerous journey that nearly cost him his life. When he finally arrived at Gregory's castle, he was forced to wait outside in the snow, wearing nothing but a hair shirt, and when he entered, he did so barefoot, with his head bowed, kneeling at the feet of the Pope to beg for readmission to the church. This is the kind of power any ambitious bully would drool over, and at times, the role of Pope became more of a magnet for worldly scheming than for spiritual enlightenment. The story of Pope Formosus and Pope Stephen VI, the later Pope who put Formosus's corpse in a courtroom throne, fits squarely in the former category. Born in Rome around 816, Pope Formosus began his career in Vatican politics in 864. As the Cardinal Bishop of Porto, a suburb in Rome, he soon ascended the ranks of the church and was made responsible for not only Porto, but also for converting the entirety of Bulgaria to Christianity. Formosus proved himself a valuable Vatican asset in the Bulgarian courts, and he was soon undertaking missions in France, which had also been assigned to him by the papacy. His rise through the ranks of Catholic power continued until a disagreement with Pope John VIII led to his excommunication and exile from Rome. It was a personal beef with a technical pretense. To quote Atlas Obscura, Pope John VIII turned on Formosus and accused him of violating a law that prevented bishops from ruling over more than one place at a time a law that was supposed to prevent bishops from building up their own fiefdoms. And perhaps more tellingly, John accused Formosus of violating a recently passed law that forbid openly aspiring to the papacy. End quote. But things in the Vatican were rarely dull, and fortunes could change in a matter of minutes. After John's death, Formosus was allowed to return to his seat and was elected Pope in 891. His reign was short-lived, lasting only five years, from October 6, 891 to April 4, 896. In that short window, he managed to anger the powerful Spoleto dynasty by backing their enemy, Arnulf of Corinthia, for Holy Roman Emperor. In fact, friends of the Spoletos 
took Formosus hostage, and he spent two years of his pontificate as their prisoner in the castle of the Holy Angel, before his allies forced his release through military pressure. Once he was released, Formosus made Arnulf king, and within three years both men had died by massive strokes, a suspicious windfall of luck for their enemies. The likelier reason for their deaths was poisoning, though Arnulf was also struggling with a crippling infestation of crabs in his eyelids. Yes, those crabs, also known as pubic lice. But even in death, Formosus could not escape the rage of the Vinful Spoletos. Formosus was followed by Pope Boniface VI, whose pontificate lasted a mere 15 days before he too died under suspicious circumstances, likely also by poisoning. With Formosus and Boniface out of the way, the Spoletos had managed to move their own man to the front of the line, a local bishop who became Pope Stephen VI, less than two months after Formosus's demise. Eager to prove his alliance to the Spoleto family, Stephen dug up Formosus's corpse in the first months of his pontificate and arranged for a trial to humiliate Formosus's former friends and supporters into submission. The Vatican and all of Rome, really, now belonged to the Spoleto dynasty, and Stephen wanted to make a show of it. If all Stephen and the Spoleto crime family wanted to do was formally condemn Formosus in the courts, they could have done that without digging him up. The cadaver synod was basically a mafia tactic, combined with all the red tape of Vatican propriety, which resulted in one of the more bizarre scenes in medieval history. Formosus was dug up and propped up in his throne, with his body still decomposing after his probable poisoning. Stephen ranted and mocked the corpse, and a church deacon was assigned with the surreal task of answering all accusations on behalf of the dead pope. But rather than intimidating his political rivals or gaining any kind of moral victory, Stephen only succeeded in making himself look like a crazy person. He had Formosus' church vestments torn off his body, and once it had been stripped, he approached it himself and cut three fingers off Formosus' right hand, the thumb, the pointer, and the middle finger. The symbolism of this act was significant. The papal blessing is traditionally done with those three fingers on the right hand, all pressed together in the direction of the blessed. The meaning behind their removal, all the blessings, ordinations, and act of Formosus should be considered null and void. Legend has it that during the trial, an earthquake shook the cathedral in which it took place, the papal archbasilica of St. John Lateran, and damaged a part of the beautiful building that had housed these ugly scenes. What was definitely damaged, and not just in part, was Stephen's reputation. It never recovered. Catholic historians and officials can disagree on just about everything, but in the words of one historian, Stephen VI is defended by no one. Some historians refuse to even acknowledge the authority of his pontificate or to include him in their lists of popes. 
Others are ruthless in their assessments. Lodovico Muratori, the 7th century Italian Catholic scholar and historian, said simply, his memory will be forever detestable in the Church of God. But the end of the trial, Formosus was of course found guilty, and his body was reburied in an unmarked grave for a few weeks. Stephen was like a revenge junkie, still chasing the last high. He had Formosus exhumed again and thrown in the Tiber River, as if to accentuate the mafia vibe of the whole proceeding, sending his enemy, as the godfather might say, to sleep with the fishes. Historians have also suggested that with this move, Stephen was partaking in a centuries-old Roman tradition in which the worst kind of criminals were disposed of by throwing them in the Tiber. This was a common fate for vilified groups like the early Christian martyrs, as well as the political rivals and critics of emperors. But following the trial and his ongoing abuse of Formosus's corpse, Stephen was finished in more ways than one. He'd blown all his political capital on this one idiotic spate of revenge. And for as many powerful enemies as Formosus had, he had been well-liked among his peers. As medieval popes go, he was a fairly good one, and being hated by a maniac like Stephen immediately bolstered his legacy. Just one year later, Stephen had lost all influence and all allies, and he was thrown into prison by an angry mob before being strangled in his cell in the summer of 897. The same year, the papal archbasilica was also destroyed by a fire that some suggested was symbolic of the building being cleansed by the memory of the embarrassing cadaver synod. Pope Stephen was succeeded by Pope Romanus, who basically did to Stephen what Stephen had done to Formosus, minus the corpse. He annulled all his predecessor's acts and decrees, and more or less tried to erase his memory from the Vatican. And of course, after the pattern of late 9th century papacy, Romanus himself was promptly overthrown within the year, and followed by Pope Theodore II, whose pontificate ended only 19 days later. Theodore died like Formosus, suddenly and suspiciously, after officially annulling the Cadaver Synod. It would only be during the following year, in 898, that Formosus' body, after being recovered from the Tiber, would be respectfully laid to rest by Romanus' successor, Pope John IX. And if you're ever in Rome, you can visit his tomb in St. Peter's Basilica, one of the greatest churches in all of the world. For those of you keeping score at home, that makes six popes in two years. The papacy was originally established to provide consistent moral leadership and careful, charitable decision-making in the name of the church. This two-year stretch represented a total failure of the office in just about every imaginable way. The 9th and 10th centuries are remembered today as some of the most corrupt and violent in the history of the church. Between 872 and 965, at least 24 different popes were appointed in Rome, many of them dying under suspicious circumstances. 
This struggle for power continued in the church into the 11th century, which would end up making the 9th and 10th look almost peaceful and collaborative by comparison. The Great Schism of 1054 divided the whole church into east and west, and inflamed by the Muslim capture of Jerusalem, the church went to war in the First Crusade. The fighting would last for 200 years. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.